All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. And today we have Sarah Anderson. Sarah, welcome to Eternal Leadership. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you. Um, Sarah, a friend of mine told me about you because you are out talking and writing about an incredibly important topic, especially for right now and everything we're seeing in the world. And you also have a book that came out. It's called The Space Between Us how Jesus teaches us to live together when politics and religion pull us apart. And for everybody out there listening right now, um, anybody that's been participating in our 40-day prayer challenge that we did, and you can go back and go to eternalleadership.com forward slash prayer and go through it at any time. And I can tell you, some of the most powerful prayers, Sarah, that we got feedback on from, was to change our own mindset as the body of Christ toward others. Like, how do we approach people that have different beliefs and attitudes than us? How do we approach people at work? Mm-hmm. And, and think about this. They say religion and politics should not be discussed. And think about two of the things mm-hmm. that have some of the biggest impact in our life, but we're told we shouldn't discuss them. And I think that's been intentional by people that have an agenda. If you want to know, my, that's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I was so proud of my son, Sarah. He uh, he led prayer one of the days. And one of the yeah. things that he shared in this prayer, because he's 23 years old, he was praying for his generation. These are the Gen Zs. Mm-hmm. He said, here's what he's mm-hmm. observed in a lot of his friends is that they approach people with different ideas, different values, different parties, with hatred and intolerance almost. Mm-hmm. Or they're at a point where they feel like, you know what, there's so much chaos and muck in the world. One person can't even make a difference. So I give, they approach everything Mm -hmm. with apathy. So before we really dig into, you know, really, this is a book about relationships, valuing others, communicating well, but we're going to talk about a number of these things. Uh, Sarah's down in Atlanta, Georgia, She grew up in a political family. She's been at that crossroads of politics and religion and ministry her whole life. And I love that you put this book out here and this message. It's so needed. But before we get into that, Sarah, I'd love to hear a little bit about about you, your background, and, you know, your journey that led up to this. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I, I did grow up in a political family. I was raised in Northern Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C. And both of my parents um, loved politics, moved to D.C. out of college to pursue politics. They met working at the Republican National Committee. So they were like a political fairy tale. Politics has been in my blood for as long as I can remember. And I was born and my dad was uh, campaigning on the Reagan campaign before he ran for president or when he was running for president. And then um, in the Reagan administration, he worked as Undersecretary of Education and then Chief Domestic Policy Advisor to the President. So all growing up, I kind of had this experience of all the perks of politics, being able to go to, you know, the White House Easter egg rolls and the inaugurations and all the fun side um, and loved it, didn't know any different. And then my senior year of high school in 1999, my dad ran for president himself. He threw his hat into the Republican presidential primary. And that was an interesting experience for my family, you know, given my age, there was the, the normal 
normal kind of teenage angst that comes with not being the center of attention my senior year of high school. But there was also kind of just this experience of the underside, the underbelly of politics a little bit, the darker side of it that you don't necessarily experience when we were kind of on the fringes of it. But all of a sudden, when a loved one becomes the talking head on television and the public's making judgments about them and about your family that you have very little control over, it just kind of opened my eyes to how much of the narrative is out of our hands when it comes to politics and and Mm -hmm. how people are portrayed. But it also just kind of showed me that how quickly we kind of move into this tribal mentality with each other. Because the thing about him running in a Republican primary was the conflict was against other Republicans, right? Normally in Washington, it's very easy to see um, conflict between Republicans and Democrats, but this was Republicans against other Republicans and people who would normally be your friends suddenly became adversaries over the smallest little differences. And so that really stuck out to me that there was such antagonism against people that we would not normally um, see as enemies. And and that stuck with me and kind of convinced me after the, the campaign was over, I did not want to end up in DC. I wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible and did. But my entire family stayed involved in politics. And as sometimes happens, as children grow up and have different experiences, we we haven't always landed on the same page anymore um, when it comes to our, our family conversations around different political issues. And so we've had to figure out a way how to have these conversations around important issues that matter to all of us without writing each other out of our lives. Like I know that's something politics and religion is something a lot of people just avoid talking about and they can, but we make a living out of doing it and we couldn't not talk about it. And so I just felt like, you know, we kind of have failed forward in some ways, but we've learned a lot in the process of how to handle our disagreements and to not hold our differences against one another. And I just thought, I want to be able to share what we've learned. I want to be able to tell my own kids that, um, even when we didn't land on the same page with all of your relatives and all of my family, that we still at the end of the day were family and we loved each other. And that's the the legacy I want to be able to pass on to them and, um, you know, just inspire other families to do it too. Yeah. Cause I, I love yeah. that. And I have a question since you've been, you, you've really seen what you said, the dark side. Now I've been fortunate to travel all over the world, work with people across the U S Asia, Africa, Europe, different backgrounds, religions, and political, you know, ideology. What I have found is when you get to know somebody and you're working with somebody one-on-one, everybody I've met with very few exceptions, they have a good heart. They want to do good work. They want to be liked. They want to, you know, do something meaningful in the world. Mm -hmm. And one-on-one as you get to know somebody, you know, we have these great conversations, but as you talked about tribalism before, how does that, and I think um, human nature, which I think in general is, is actually very good, gets mm-hmm. shaped and changed into some of the things that's actually very different than that? Yeah, I think you're right that when you get to know people one-on-one, you get to see a lot more of the good in what people bring. I think it's a lot easier to write a narrative about a group of people without ever getting to know an individual who holds that position or comes from that political party or whatever it is. What causes us, I think, to live in these groups and to kind of fall into this group think is that we like to think that we're rational creatures that we're out to find the truth, but the truth is we're emotional creatures who are looking to confirm what we already think. And so it's easier to be surrounded by people who think like we do and, and not have to challenge our thinking, right? I mean, it's it takes a lot less critical thinking to just surround yourself with people who are just like you. You don't have to actually think that hard about your positions because everyone 
around you is just going to be a yes man and, and agree to what you already say. So I think just knowing inherently that we are not as rational as we think we are, that we have a bias to what we think because of how we were raised or where we are raised or the culture that we're in, all of that plays a part, I think, in understanding that not none of us are coming from this with a completely unbiased point of view. All of us are bringing something to the table that has shaped us. And I think just living aware of that helps us to see, be a little bit more critical about our own thinking and a lot more generous when it comes to how other people think and how they landed on the page they did. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, because I have, I, I've experienced this, right? Uh, relational challenges mm-hmm. just in my own family. I will yeah. not say who because they might be listening, but it's created some serious <laughs> division, even in yeah. text interactions with people. I had mm-hmm. somebody in my family, my mom sent out a, a message from a certain point of view and other people now won't talk to her just be, I mean, so, you know, I think there's like this toxic culture and it's actually affecting yeah. real relationships in families. I would love your thoughts because I know you've actually studied this really from a perspective of how Christ would guide us into these mm-hmm. situations. But, you know, this is something that's actually affecting not only just, I think, coworkers, uh, work teams, but yeah. also families. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you know, you touched on this at the beginning that we were told not to talk about politics and religion and polite company. And I think that's true. We have been told that. I think that's what got us here, though. I think that having civil conversation Mm -hmm. is like a muscle and we've let it atrophy without engaging in that kind of conversation. We've forgotten how. And it's not like riding a bike where you can just pick it right back up whenever you want to. So I think years of a lack of practice and now we're we're continue to be faced with elections where more and more seems to be on the line and we want to be able to engage in it. And we don't know how without shutting other people out. So I I think that what we need to be doing is practicing with each other and engaging with the people who are different from us. Because I think the biggest problem is, is I think we think that the conflict is bad, right? That if we could just get everybody to agree and be on the same page, then we'd be okay. Well, that's not the dream the founders had for our country. That's not what they imagined America to be. They imagined us to be a place where everybody could bring their opinion and have civil conversation and then work out what the best for the nation was, not just what one side wanted or the other side wanted, but kind of looking at the country as a separate entity. What are we doing for the health of the country? And so I think if we can begin to see conflict, not as the bad guy, the disagreeing isn't bad. It's the demonizing of the person who holds the disagreeing position that's bad. It's when we're beginning to see people as the sum of their political decisions and writing them off in their entirety as a person because of their political positions. That's the problem. That's when we begin to see an issue. So I'm not even sure it's that dangerous that our opinions are veering so far from each other. I think that happens. I think that can be expected. I think it's when we begin to disregard entire people groups, entire political parties, entire people who hold opinions on different policies and say they are not worth listening to because they hold this position that we really get into a lot of contempt and shaming for other people. And, you know, besides being just bad for the country as Christ followers, there is nothing helpful about that, right? We kind of see this 
this cancel culture, this writing people off um, because they're different than us. And, and when you look at the story from the gospels, Jesus was never writing somebody's end of the story for them. He was always leaving room for restoration and redemption and resurrection. He was never excluding people and cutting off a relationship because they didn't see eye to eye on something. And, I, and that's where I think we need to take our cue from, from Jesus, obviously, and just leaning into how he navigated relationships. It wasn't about proving a point. It wasn't about making sure they knew where he stood on an issue. It was about never closing the door to interaction, never closing the door to relationship and making sure people always knew that there was an acceptance there, even if they didn't land on the same page. So question for you, when, you know, like if I told somebody out there, I'm going to either vote for this person or I have this stance on an issue, I'm immediately and this has just become the norm, either kind of put into a box, right? You assume everything Mm -hmm. else about me. I become an object. And what you're talking about is actually honoring the unique value of people around us as individuals. And think about this, even if you disagree with them, with every fiber of your being, there's still somebody that God created who loves, who he cherishes, And I got to tell you the other day, I was, uh, it was something some politicians said, and I was like, rah, 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 rah. I was complaining about this person on, you know, somebody on the phone mm-hmm. and God convicted me big time. Cause I was like trash talking this person. I won't mm-hmm. say who it was. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. her. And instead of gossiping and cursing her, what if you just stopped right now and prayed for her? I'm like, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. And then, so I told that to a friend of mine. He goes, I challenge you, John, for a week to not say anything negative about anybody and somebody that pricks your sensibility that you actually stop and pray for them. And I got to tell you, Sarah, it was challenging. Yeah. Because yeah. think about this, right? What is the, what everybody I think can quote the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And then he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you a question. People out there listening right now, Sarah, who know that, hey, you know what? It's easy to love people that think like me, maybe even look like me, feel the same way about issues as me. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people that are out in the world? They're at work. They're meeting people from things that they do, their kids' schools, Mm -hmm. to just take that first small step to maybe start changing the conversation with somebody that they might not share a belief system with. And why is that important? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a couple of things, you know, you, you talked about hearing someone and being challenged to pray for them. And that was the tension I felt when my dad was running for president. I wanted so badly for people to know, not just his foreign policy ideas, but how he took his coffee in the morning, right? Because that was the stuff that made him a human. And so to me, it's not just remembering, yes, this is God's child. That's a big deal too. But these are politicians who are going home to families at night that grew up with childhood fears and and hopes and had different ideas for what they wanted to do when they grew up and things that have hurt them and disappointed them. And just kind of remembering that there's this holistic picture, because I think you're right. When we see them on a stage or we see them on a screen or we hear a sound bite, we are objectifying them. We are not seeing them as a human. We're seeing them as a product 
for us to kind of consume and then spit our judgment out on. Yeah, or an obstacle to our agenda. That's right, an obstacle. That's Yeah, that's a great point. But I think what you're saying is 100% right. This is a faith issue. I think our tendency as believers is to think that Jesus wants sameness among us when that's not at all what he wants. He wants unity. And sameness and unity are different. How, how would you define those two? Sameness well, and unity. I would unity. say sameness is we all land on the same page. You know, we're clones of each other. Unity is saying we bring different things to the table, but we have a common goal at the end. So the thing that unifies us as believers is our following Jesus, our vision for what God's kingdom on this earth represents. Sameness is saying we think we all should do th- these same things to get there diversity and unity is saying we have different ideas for what that might look like. Our objective is God's kingdom. I'm willing to sacrifice some of what I think you're willing to sacrifice some of what you think in order to achieve this bigger picture that's outside of ourselves. And that's where I think we've kind of lost the plot a little bit is assuming that God wants us all to look the same to do without that conflict instead of this idea, like from Proverbs is ironing, sharpening iron, right? This idea of when we bring our best together and we kind of have that friction against one another, that's not a bad thing. That's how we get to the best possible outcome in front of us. And that's how I think we begin to achieve what God has in mind for us and the kingdom that he wants here on earth. And it, again, I think this is a faith issue. If we are only willing to surround ourselves with people who think just like us, um, look just like us, have the same, you know, upbringing, cultural, you know, ethnicity, whatever that is, then what we're ultimately saying is that we are not wanting to be a part of the kingdom of God because God values diversity and the people that we are shutting ourselves out from, they represent a piece of God that we would never know unless we took the time to engage them. And so when we begin to see them as having something to teach us, you know, not necessarily change our minds on anything, although that might happen as well, but we have something to learn from them because they represent something about God I wouldn't know unless I took the time to enter into a relationship with them. And so just beginning to see that with a posture of humility and curiosity and as learners, instead of having to coming at it as I figured everything else out, I'm waiting for you to come over here and be on my team. You know, I think a lot of the challenges we see in society right now, this is my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the entire evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. We have largely lost our influence on culture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we have approached so many things with a critical and judgmental spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? That is now what we rail against when it's used against <laughs> us. Yes. So the irony, right? The irony. Yeah. And I love what you just said, right? A place of curiosity, a place of learning. And, you know, that comes from asking questions and be mm-hmm. willing and open to hear something that you want to debate, you want to argue, you want to tell somebody they're wrong, because mm-hmm. that's kind of maybe how you're feeling in the core. So, for, you know, for people out there, Sarah, if they're in that situation, how do I actually start? be the person that initiates some of these conversations and move toward that curiosity and learning place and move away from judgment, criticism, you know, wanting to be, you know, proven right. Yeah. I think we've got to figure out what are the issues we can be level-headed and engaging on, right? Because I think there are some issues that maybe they just are too emotional for us that if we got involved in, in them, it would not go well. Everybody would end up too heated. It would end up doing more damage than not. But picking out, deciding what are the things that you might have feelings on one way or the other, but you're maybe you aren't entirely sure and just kind of approaching it that way saying, hey, I, I don't know everything there is to know about this. Tell me how you landed where you did on 
on this particular issue because I want to help. I want to understand more. And I and you seem like you're more of an expert on this than I am. The other thing that I think matters, there's a, a TED talk I watched a couple of weeks ago. I think her name was Catherine Schultz. And she asked the audience a question. She said, what does it feel like when you're wrong? And people were throwing out answers like, mm. you know, it's embarrassing. Um, I feel ashamed, like all these different things. And she said, no, that's what you feel when you've discovered you're wrong. When you're wrong and you don't know it, it feels exactly like being right. And so I think there's a lot of things, a lot, a lot of positions that we're potentially holding on to 100% convinced we're right, that it's possible we may be wrong on, but we've come across as being so judgmental and so certain and, and that we have no more growing to do in this particular area because we've landed where we've landed, that we've shut people out from conversation. So just being able to engage in a relationship and saying, this is where I am right now, but I know that I have more to learn just as a human. So tell me what your experience has been, or if, you know, someone's coming at it with, um, they're already kind of emotional and you're trying to figure out how to engage that instead of saying, how could you possibly think that say, help me understand, like, help me, help me understand your experiences that helped you to land where you did, because this is what I experienced growing up, or this is what I've experienced as an adult or with my family. And, and that's shaped what I think. So obviously you've had experiences that have helped shape what you think. I want to help understand what that means or why that is so important to you. So that curiosity, but just the humility of being able to say, I'm not done learning. And it's possible you might be my teacher instead of me being yours. And if that's true, then I want to be able to have a posture of, of being able to listen to you without judging you or condemning you on where you've landed. So just having that humility and that posture of there's more for me to figure out. I don't have it all figured out yet. I think speaks volumes to other believers, but also to a world that's kind of watching how we behave as believers. Yeah, and I think this is so important because like John Maxwell said at one point, you have to connect before you can pull. Yeah. And if we want to have a kingdom influence, if we want to be an ambassador for Christ in the workplace, wherever we find ourselves, if we don't find a way to connect, build a relationship, we're never going to be able to have a positive influence or create something attractive where they're like, you know, hey, Sarah, you're always so happy. And I've seen some of this stuff you've gone through. Where does that come from? Right. Well, hey, can I share with you? It comes from my faith, but would you mind if I share you a little bit of my story? Yeah. And uh, do you know who Foster Freeze is? Uh-uh, no. So, he, well, he's a friend of mine. He's, he did really well on Wall Street. and okay. um, But anyway, he challenged me. He said, this was years ago. He said, John, once a month, go find somebody that you know you're going to disagree with, mm -hmm. who's on the other side of the aisle, on the other side of an issue, yeah. and get together with them for coffee. Mm -hmm. and just see what happens. Show up and just have a conversation. I got to tell you, Sarah, it has been so enriching. Yeah. You yes. show up, you ask questions, you use the Socratic method to challenge people instead yep. of facts and arguments. Yep. Socratic method being questions. But, yep. you know, through this, one of these guys I've become very close to uh, lives in LA. He's one of the most crazy left-wing progressive mm -hmm. guys I've ever met. And we've developed an amazing friendship. Yep. And we can now have conversations because we've developed that foundation yeah. around politics that are fantastic. They're interesting. Mm -hmm. And we don't fight. We don't call each other names. We text each other. We say hi. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about reframing things from in, instead of people being either wrong or the enemy, mm -hmm. right? How, how would you think about that? How should I, uh, in, in, you know, your thoughts with all the research you've done, how should I start thinking about others that maybe have different belief systems than I do? 
Yeah, I think what you just said was exactly right. The thinking the other side is automatically wrong or the enemy is not a great place to start. I mean, this you can find these principles in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? You start by being a nice person, by being friendly, by acknowledging what the other side, quote unquote, has gotten right on something. This is how you begin to kind of cross these relational uh, bridges and begin to like mend the issues that we have with each other. But I I think part of it too is also remembering that that kindness piece, I, I remember growing up, my dad would do these kinds of debates online when he was running for president or different talk shows where someone was representing one view and he was representing the other. And I remember how many times he would come home and he would say that the person on the other side would say something like, you know, I don't agree with the word that you said, but you're a nice guy. And that changed things for them. And I remember thinking there was so much power in him just being a kind individual on and off the air, that even if they never ended up on the same page politically or with their beliefs, that there was a rapport that they developed with one another. So it's Christians, I think that the biggest detriment to our influence is when we automatically assume that God is on the side that we're on, because then that automatically allows us to treat the other side as bad, wrong, evil, even demonizing the people on the other side. When we think God is with us, it gives us all kinds of permission to treat the other side poorly because God's not with them. He's only with us. So paying attention to the fact that God is not on one particular side or the other when it comes to the political party. He did not register as a Republican and he did not register as a Democrat. That as difficult as that might be for us to believe at times. And I, I get that, but just realizing that it's so much more complicated than that. I, I love what you're talking about having, you know, text conversations with friends or getting together with coffee who see differently people who see differently than you, because it complicates the narrative. When you meet these people who are nice human beings that hold these ideas that you thought were terrible ideas, you can't automatically see them as terrible people anymore. You see them as human beings and that makes nuance harder to find, but I think that makes it, it's a good thing, honestly. We've got to be able to kind of move in that direction of of complication because when we oversimplify it, I think it allows us to treat each other in a much more harmful way. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, you know, this approach, I think really starting to, I think recognize the value in others and individuals you know, a lot of the work that I do is in the business world, and I see it all the time. Uh, I, I see this create division and conflict in teams. It creates clicks. Mm. So how important do you think is, you know, this approach and bringing it into our world out, you know, that we, we live in Monday through Friday? Yeah, I think it's really important. These are basic relational skills. And I think that for all the good social media has done for us, I think one of the harms it's done is it's created echo chambers we don't even realize we're living in. And I think Mm -hmm. before it was easy to know we were in an echo chamber because we were choosing it. We were isolating ourselves with people who are like us. Social media is creating algorithms that force us into these echo chambers we don't even realize we're choosing every time we click on something or comment on something. And so just living in an awareness that we we have our blind Reminders on to what people think around us. And so just be more aware of that. I heard someone uh, say today that they watch differing uh, news channels from two different, the right and the left, and they see that as a spiritual discipline because it's helping them to engage what people on the other side see that they would not normally even try to understand, but to be able to sit and to take in the news of people that they don't understand and to hear the narrative that they're hearing allows them to understand the person better and ultimately, you know, God, the image of God in them better. So I think that these principles definitely apply in the workplace. I think it's 
easier in some ways when it's not around politics and religion. I think conflict is easier to handle. These the politics and religion, it's everything is so personal, and it, the the ideals are so important, and they've shaped who we are. And so, trying to approach those ideas non emotionally is really difficult to do. But I think we've got to do this for the sake of just our civil engagement for our families. Yeah, you know, one of the stories I tell in the book is about a trip I, my husband and I were, took to Northern Ireland. Yeah. And when we were there, we learned a lot about the history of Northern Ireland. I, I didn't know much about it going there. Um, but one of the things that we learned was how in the 60s through the 90s, while Northern Ireland was trying to figure out what their constitutional status was going to be, if they were going to remain part of the United Kingdom or become part of the Republic of Ireland, um, there was a ton of violence and civil unrest and bombings. And the government started building what they called peace walls. And it was these walls that were literally built around the city of Belfast and other neighborhoods where predominantly one side lived in one area and the other side lives in another. And they put up these walls to keep them from engaging with one another thinking that if they could keep them apart, then there wouldn't be as much conflict. Well, the first peace wall was built in the 1960s and, and the troubles, as they call that period, didn't end until the 90s, 30 years later. So it didn't do what they thought. There continued to be violence. And the thing I think we can learn from that is by separating ourselves out from people, by refusing to engage with people that are not like us, we're not doing ourselves any favors by avoiding the conflict. What we're doing is we're, we're turning the people on the other side into caricatures of themselves. They're not actual humans then. We can kind of spin these stories about who they are. But just like, you know, the studies we've seen done with um, people having conversations where there's sustained eye contact and it triggers the empathetic response in both people. It's the one-on-one -on -one engaging where we begin to realize there is a human on the other side of this. And even if this issue we can't seem to land on, I can respect you as a person. And it's a lot harder for me to make judgments about you or to make assumptions about who you are as a person and what you believe when I'm looking you in the eye and I see you as a human and not just as some total of your your decisions i love that you know um because you know i'm just thinking about as you were sharing there some of the people i've gotten to know who you wouldn't look at me and say hey that's you know that's got to be a good friend of john's but they are <laughs> but you know i think it's you know finding some of those things in common getting to know yes. people hey they yes. love dogs yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah. Uh, me and a very close friend of mine, very different perspectives on how to solve this problem on inner city education. Mm -hmm. But we both have a passion for this generation that's in our public high schools right now that are not getting a good education. Yeah. I think it's about seeking that common ground. Yes, 100%. And you know what? I would just tell people, you know, if somebody throws something out, because you know what happens in our body, right? Somebody throws out something that you really disagree with. Mm -hmm. Right. There's this process that happens. First of all, I have a thought. Maybe I'm like, oh, my gosh, how could you? I, I had so much respect for Sarah until she said that. I, you know, <laughs> right. Because, you know, all of a sudden, let's say you throw out something about an issue. Yeah. Right. Uh, or something that was said on TV. I immediately have a feeling is the feeling is I just want to discount you. I want to argue with you. You're a bad person because mm -hmm. I'm going to take my action from that place. Right. We have this mm -hmm. thought. It leads mm -hmm. to this feeling that in our body. And, and it's just, there's a lot of neuroscience behind this. Yeah. But think about this. Some of those people like, you know, that they just kind of trigger you mm -hmm. go and say, okay, next time that person says something like this, maybe it, instead of a thought is, wow, what a knucklehead. Mm -hmm. Maybe your thought is, you know what, Lord, show me something that I might have in common. Yeah. You created this person. Show me a way that I could possibly serve them. Yeah. 
And what I wanted to do, instead of feeling maybe angry or frustrated or disgusted or whatever, maybe you feel when you're, when some of this comes up, you say, you know what, and this is a choice and I have to pre-experience it to make it work. I want to feel love toward that person. And sometimes that's a conscious choice. So if I now am in my head reminding myself, you know what, I want to figure out a way to serve them because they're God's child. Lord, show me how to love them in this moment how you're going to show up, your body language, mm-hmm. your tone of voice, the kind of question that you ask is going to be totally different than if we allow ourselves, because it is a choice, by the way, because the other people and their opinion do not control ourselves. That's right. And I think if we can start just doing, and guess what, you're going to fail, because yeah. as I've worked at changing yeah. <laughs> that in my own life, I've had to go back at, at home at night looking at the ceiling going, okay, I yeah. I try to ask myself two questions, Sarah. The first thing is in that conversation, what did go well? Was there anything I did well? Maybe the one thing I did well is I ended it before we started, you know, yelling. (laughs) But is there anything I learned? It's like, yeah, I allowed myself to get angry or frustrated. Mm. And I got into a debate that went, no, because nobody's ever going to, you're not going to ever build a relationship by arguing with somebody. But you can have a conversation in the debate in a way that's constructive. But yeah. I mean, that, that's just my thoughts. I, I would just tell people out there from this conversation, go and, you know, find something in common. Like if politics is a third rail for you, mm-hmm. hey, share something like, hey, you know what? I had a great weekend. Our small group yeah. got together. You can just start sharing little things to just see if people engage. And my family, you know, we, we talk about politics and we don't land on the same page all the time. But at the end of the day, my parents will tell me they are imagining the kind of country they want my kids to grow up in and they want it to be the best possible country for my kids. And I, I'm like, great, I'm on board for that too. How that we may get there may look different. But when I can be generous in the motives that I assign them, even if the way they arrive at the application is different, I see it in a completely different light. I, I don't see another side as trying to ruin the country. I see them as they, they think this is the best possible route to better our country. I disagree, but now they're not, evil for thinking that they just have a different way of approaching it. I think that does make a huge difference. Well, I think this is so important now because really what we're talking about is despite political differences, we can have fulfilling, engaging, healthy relationships in our family and at work, right? We can mend maybe some of those broken ties. Like, you know, like I mentioned, even happened in my family, we're working on that. How do we change the dialogue? So we're all sitting around and we're looking forward to Thanksgiving dinner versus being afraid that, you know, there's going to be this little kerfluffle. That's a good word (laughs) in the corner. So how do people find your book? How do they get in touch with you, Sarah? Yeah. um, My book is on Amazon and you can, um, yeah, look it up there, barnesandnoble.com as well. And um, I have a website at www.sarahbanderson.com. And um, yeah, you can find different links to social media pages and right there. Yeah. And the book is The Space Between Us, How Jesus Teaches Us to Live Together When Politics and Religion Pull Us Apart. Such a great message for right now. So as we wrap up, Sarah, just any final thoughts for everybody listening in? Yeah, I would say don't give up on each other. 
don't punish each other with a lack of presence because you don't understand each other. I think that was the greatest gift my family has given me and we've given each other is even when we don't see eye to eye with one another, we have never forgotten that we were family first and that there are other things that connected us. So I would just encourage people that if there's tension in your families, in your workplace, in your friendships, whatever it is, remember that there is more that connected you than what's dividing you right now and to not give up on each other. Mm. What a beautiful message. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, um, thank I would you. love to have you back on anytime you want to come. You have an open invitation. Thank Let you. me know anytime. And uh, I've just loved this conversation. And I'd love to hear from everybody out there listening. You know, if you do choose to go have a conversation with somebody or things go even a little bit better than you expected because you said, you know what, I'm going to stay in this curious mode, a learner mode. I'm going to look at the value of the person versus an identity based on um, a position. I would love to hear from you because these are stories that we need to share. We need to celebrate as we just all take small steps forward. Because if we start doing this in our families, at work and in our communities, I really think it's up to us to change the level of discourse that's yeah. happening in the country. I think our politicians reflect the electorate mm-hmm. and we're frustrated with the politicians and we don't look in the mirror ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm just as guilty yeah. and it's something I've been working on and, and I love that you're bringing a voice to an important issue. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was awesome. 